Good morning, everyone. My name is Jason. I'm the pastor of New Hope Church. Give me one second. We're a multicultural church, and one of the ways that we experience that is not just in seeing our diversity, but experiencing it. And if you're ever here, when we have our potlucks, you get to taste our diversity as well. And what a, what a pleasure to hear Mimi read the scripture today in Haitian Creole. Like, you know, when you've probably heard about New York, that the nations are here in New York, but it's such a privilege and a joy to be able to experience it together. I mean, I just think about, as Mimi was reading that, how many people all across the world today on this Easter Sunday is reading this passage in their own language, proclaiming this message too, and we get to see a glimpse of it here. So thank you again, Mimi. Everyone loves a good story. We all love the way that a good story makes us feel. Some of you love stories that are full of suspense. You love not knowing what's going to happen at the end. You love being tricked. Like in our home, we love suspense in that regard. We love mysteries. We love crime thrillers. Others of you love stories that draw out your emotions. You love stories that make you cry, give you all the feels. Some of you love stories that make you sit back in your chair and think. Like, you know those movies that were, or, or books you read where you just want to go out with somebody and you want to just talk about it for an hour and try to unpack everything you saw or read or experienced together? You love stories that make you sit back in your chair and think. And then there are stories, there are quite a few of these, where halfway through you're still wondering, where's it all going? Like, what's the point of this story? Is there a point? You see, we don't just listen, read, or watch stories. The truth is, we live in them too. You're living in a story right now. And just like the stories we watch or read or experience in some other way, our story also has a plot. There's some problem, right? Something that's gone wrong, some challenge that needs to be overcome. For some of you in your story, you see this problem on a global scale. Or maybe it's more local or for many of us, or I would say most of us, it's also individual as well. And so we live our lives on a quest to solve this problem globally, locally, or individually, to make things right, to make the wrongs right, to overcome that challenge. This becomes in some way the purpose of our lives. It's what gives us meaning in this world. It's our reason for living. But then there are also times, just like the stories we hear about, where at some point in our own stories, we pause and we, un we wonder and we ask, where's it all going? Like, what's the point? Is there a point? I love Easter because it reminds us that no matter what you're going through right now, it reminds us where it's all going. And it's an opportunity to take the arc of our story and connect it with this story that's been told for 2,000 years of where it's all going. Redemption restoration, resurrection for the glory of God and the joy of all peoples. So as you hear the story again today, this good news that's been proclaimed for centuries, ask yourself, do you live in this story? If not, what story do you live in? The news of Jesus' resurrection spread everywhere. We're told that a few women went to the tomb early that Sunday morning and there was a violent earthquake and they noticed that the tomb had been rolled aside and they didn't know what happened until an angel appeared to them and told them what had happened, that Jesus had risen from the dead. He was not there anymore. But here's the thing. As they were on their way to go and tell the other disciples what had happened, we discovered that there was another story also being told at that same time. On the back of your bulletin, let's pick up from verse 11 and I'll read from 11 through 15. 
While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, "You are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while he while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble." So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Now, imagine how dramatically different it would be to believe the story of the women versus the story of the guards. On the one hand, if you're trying to make sense, you heard that Jesus, his tomb was empty. On the one hand, you have the story that the guards weren't very good at their job. They fell asleep. The disciples stole his body and ended up deceiving people into thinking that Jesus was still alive. And this deception dramatically impacted the rest of the world. To this day, there are over 2 billion people evenly dispersed throughout the world who have come to believe it and experience its power. I mean, drawing together, as you could see in a small way in this room, people from different cultures and backgrounds and ethnicities and experiences all experiencing the power of this resurrection. On the one hand, you've got that story, right? They fell asleep, disciples have deceived everyone, and it's impacted the world. On the other hand, you have this other story that Jesus really is the Messiah, that he really is the Savior, that the grave is empty because he rose from the dead as both Savior and Lord with the power to defeat sin and death. Of course, these aren't the only stories that were being told at the time. There are plenty of stories that make a counterclaim to the resurrection account, but the, story, but the point is this. The story you believe is the story that you end up living in. Whatever story you believe, that's what you end up assuming. You slip into that way of engaging and living in this world. So the question is, which story do you believe? Which story do you live in? N.T. Wright, who's a New Testament scholar and historian, he was really helpful in helping us understand the word gospel. Like today, it's something that churches for the most part, use, or it's a genre of music. But in that time, it was something that was a term that was reserved for emperors who were victorious in battle. The, God, the word gospel just means good news. It was heralding good news of this emperor's victory. So for example, he writes, when Octavian, who became the emperor Augustus, won his great victory at the Battle of Actium over Cleopatra, news went back to Rome. Good news, Octavian has won the victory, and he's coming back to Rome because he has a lot of mopping up to do. Everyone in Rome realized they were now living between Octavian's victory and final return. That is very much like where we are. This is the reason that we use the word gospel. We live between the victorious death and resurrection of Jesus and his return. If you really believe he has won the victory and is coming back to claim the throne, then it affects everything how you think about every aspect of your life, how you believe what you believe about who God is, about the future of the whole world. What he's saying is whenever there was a victory and someone would go through town heralding Octavian as one or there was a new emperor, this emperor is victorious, you had, to you had to make a decision in that moment as a citizen of that place. Am I going to believe this? It was a step of faith. Because if that person came back and you didn't pledge allegiance to that emperor, there were going to be implications for that. So you live between their victory and their return. And you have to ask yourself, do I live in this story? What am I going to believe? The disciples saw Jesus and proclaimed this gospel of his victory because it changed everything for them. It changed the way they thought about God. 
He's a kind of God who comes near, who takes on our flesh and is willing to die in our place. He's a God who doesn't stand at a distance hoping we get it right, but he's able to come close in our skin and is scandalously willing to die the death of a criminal for us. It changed the way they viewed the past, Jewish history, all of their scriptures, right? And the way they viewed their own story and their own mistakes changed how they view the future as well. In other words, they found themselves because of this living in a different story altogether. And that's what we're going to look at. And as we go through a couple of these things, I want you to ask yourself, which story are you living in? Because of the resurrection, they lived in the first, a story where death will be defeated. Can we, there's a little bit of feedback in this. Can we just, yeah, it's a little hot. A story where death will be defeated. If Jesus rose from the dead, that means that there is someone who has power over death. This is not the end. The late Pulitzer Prize winning author and cultural anthropologist Ernest Becker wrote a book called The Denial of Death. And in it he talks about how we're all on this quest. We have this thing, what he calls the immortality project that we all try to assume. And think of the ways, basically he says that we try to defeat death. We're either denying it, right, or we're trying to defeat it. Anti-aging creams. Apparently, TikTok filters do the trick, too. It doesn't matter what you do. Like, like you could look perpetually young forever, more opportunities for catfishing, whatever that is. But I'm not joking. Like, Jeff Bezos, you know Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon. He, I recently read that he invested $3 billion in, in, into an anti-aging startup. OpenAI uh, CEO Sam Altman invested $180 million into an anti-aging biotech firm. You don't even have to have that kind of money to try to in some way either deny or defeat death or at least prolong life as much as you possibly can. You know what money does in some ways? It can insulate you from whatever vulnerability you feel. Like, I mean, psychologically, not knowing when, you know, how you're going to pay the bills, right? It can, can, it can free you from that vulnerability. Or if you're, if you're used to living in some insecure situations or places, it can insulate you from dangers outside in the world. It can provide enough to protect you so you never feel that vulnerability. Or you could buy technology so you don't experience your humanity. And one major theme that Becker describes is our desire to leave a legacy, that most of us try to defeat death by leaving a legacy. We say, if we can just be remembered, we realize that we're all going to die, but if we could just make an impact in this world, if we could just do something meaningful and be remembered by those that we love, it's almost as if death would have lost. We would have defeated death because we live on in the hearts and minds of people who live after us. But will it ever work? At some point, we're going to have to let go. Regardless of how much money you make, regardless of how many creams you buy, filters you use, technology you possess, things you accomplish, impact you make, at some point we will die. And even though it's inevitable, we still try to defeat it. I want you to hear me. It doesn't matter what your religious background is. You, if you're not a Christian today, it doesn't mean, just because you're not a Christian, doesn't mean you're still not trying to live forever and trying to defeat death in your own way. Just because you're a Christian and verbally consent to the idea that there is a resurrection doesn't mean that you also don't slip into your own immortality project of trying to defeat death as if that is the way to live forever and not trust in Christ. But the gospel of Jesus Christ says that these are all misguided attempts. It's chasing the wind. We can't defeat death through our good works. 
We can't do it by accumulating possession for ourselves or our youth and beauty and the approval of people and our legacy. Death is going to happen to us all, but 2,000 years ago, there was news that someone did defeat death. And by hoping in him, he would raise us too by the same power that raised him for all those who hope in him. And if that's true, we don't have to live our entire lives trying to defeat it on our own. We could, we could say we don't want to be a part of that immortality project because he will raise us up again. Death, death won't be the end of our stories. You see, the disciples believe this. I mean, they believe this in their bones. And that's why they were willing to be martyrs. It's not that they just didn't fear death. That's one thing, to not fear death. They loved those that killed them. They were able to forgive those in love. They saw themselves as living in a different story. A story where they were loved, where they were forgiven. A story where death is not the end, that they too will live again. Do you live in that story? Think about your life right now. What story have you believed? Because the story you believe is the story you live in. So that's the first thing, right? Because of the resurrection, they lived in a story where death will be defeated. They also lived in a story where redemption is possible. Let's read 5 through 10. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid. For I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then he said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. I love this. Because those people that they were, the women had gone to go and tell, the people that Jesus references here are people who abandoned him. I mean, every one of his followers abandoned him in his time of need. Some of the most devout among them who were in his inner circle denied knowing him multiple times. But look at what Jesus says. He calls them brothers. He's not ashamed to call them brothers. Go tell my brothers, yes, those who deserted me, that they will see me. Do you live in a story like that? A story where redemption is possible for us even in the midst of our worst. You see, just like our immortality project, we've got like, we have like a redemption project as well. My wife and I, we have three children. Our daughter is the oldest. And for the first, we really wanted a little girl. I don't know, we, we, I guess we had, like, my, my, my sister has sons, and on her side of the family, they all have a boys, and we're like, boys are crazy, we hope we get a girl, right? So we had a girl. Our first was our, our, our daughter, Brielle. Um, and for the second, we decided that, I mean, well, for the first, we did a typical gender reveal, you know, things that you probably roll your eyes at today, right? Like a cannon and all that, you know, it's like red or blue or whatever else it is. We did that stuff for the first one. But for the second one, I told Jothi, you know what? I don't know, I just love to find out on our own. We can still do that kind of stuff to, 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 to surprise the family, but I really just want to find out on our own first. And the reason is because I didn't want to ugly cry in front of our family, all right? Because I just wonder, what if it's a boy? And the reason 
that in particular was going to be different for me is because I didn't have a very good relationship with my father growing up. And I thought maybe if finding out that uh, we're having a boy, it would open up some deep wounds as well as longings in my own heart. Well, sure enough, we found out that we had a boy, and I did a little bit of ugly, just a little bit of ugly crying. (laughs) But sitting there with her in the doctor's office, I remember, like, uh, thinking of all of a sudden of all the things that I hope our son would be. I started to think about what he would be and how his life would be as a young man and how it would be different than mine. Maybe he wouldn't make the same mistakes that I made in my life and the kind of father I want to be to him. And then right there in the hospital, I stopped because I realized what I was doing. If I wasn't careful, I would put all the pressure on him to redeem me and my story. It's not just him, it's it's all my kids, right? That I would try to find redemption for my story by being a good parent and raising good children whose stories would be different than than mine and wouldn't make the same mistakes that I've made and I wouldn't make the same mistakes as well to undo all the wrongs that I've done in my life, to undo all the wrongs done to me. And if I didn't catch it in that moment, I would put all that pressure upon them and I would try to find redemption through them. And you know what? If they didn't fulfill my expectations, you know what would happen? It would crush me. Because what's at stake? My redemption. The, redemp- my, the story and how, my story and how it would be redeemed was at stake. And if they failed me, I would crush them with that pressure as well. Because after all, this is what redeems my story. That's just one thing. Like, we don't have to have just one redemption project. That's one thing in my life. Think about yours. What redeems your story? What accomplishment? What, about a, what amount of money and success and beauty and youth and approval and status and ambition and possession? What relationship that you can have? Friendship, although intimate or professional, do you need that will finally redeem you? What will it be? What if believing this gospel, this news means that, and living in this story means that redemption is already ours, not because of anything that we have done. That he can heal our wounds, and he can fulfill our longings, that he can take our worst, yes, our denial of him, and somehow turn it for good. That's not wishful thinking. That's what he did. He took the crucifixion, the ultimate demonstration of our rebellion and hatred against him. He used that very thing to demonstrate his victory, his love for us, his overcoming love. Love overcoming our worst. And Jesus says to the very people who denied him in this time of need, go and tell my brothers and sisters, they're gonna see me. Redemption is possible. Do you live in this story? A story where someone can redeem you. If you step back and you look at your life, are you living in another story? Another redemption project where somehow you are trying to redeem yourself with something you can do or accomplish. What story do you live in? Because of the resurrection, they lived in a story where death will be defeated, where redemption is possible. And finally, they lived in a story where we will never be alone. There's so much you could say here, but we're just looking at these three. So let's look at 16 through 20 now. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. The disciples see this, and there is wonder. They worship him. This is not just something they're doing out of ritual. It's the the overflow of their amazement towards Jesus. And when it says that some doubted, it's not not necessarily the intellectual skepticism that we may think. It's more like, it's likely more like, I can't believe my eyes. Like, I can't believe this is happening, right? Is this really happening? Jesus rose from the dead. They're overcome with emotion. They worship him in awe and amazement. And there's a calling to go and tell others about him. And so they are living now, I mean, you could say also they're living in a story where Jesus has authority over everything. But at the very end of it is a promise that they'll never be alone. In his book, The Life We're Looking For, Andy Crouch notes how people across various fields recognize the problem of loneliness in society. For example, example, current Surgeon General Vivek Murthy in 2017 said, During my years caring for patients, the most common pathology I saw was not heart disease or diabetes. I'm Indian, that's prevalent among Indians, right? It was loneliness. Ben Sass, a former senator, president of the University of Florida, he wrote a book where he tried to really analyze our political polarization today, uh, specifically in America, and he said that at the heart of our political polarization is loneliness. And Crouch notes that the moment we come into this world, we are looking for a face. The moment a child comes into this world, we're looking for a face. We're looking for a face that is looking for us. Then he observes that loneliness is when you realize that no one is looking for you anymore. And we feel our loneliness in different ways. The most obvious is physical loneliness, right? Like if you're all by yourself in your apartment and no one else is around, that's physical loneliness. But sometimes the most painful is not just that. It's an emotional loneliness, well, you're not known. Like you could be in a room full of people, but nobody knows you. Nobody knows what you're going through. Nobody knows how to pray for you. Nobody knows what you've struggled with. Nobody knows your fears and your anxieties and your weaknesses and failures, the things that you're ashamed of. Nobody knows the things that have been done to you, the way that people have hurt you. It's an emotional loneliness. No matter how many friends you have, you're emotionally lonely. Sometimes we choose it. We choose this kind of loneliness because we don't want to let anybody in. We don't want anybody to know us. It's not about the amount of friends that you have. You still, in some ways, emotionally keep them at a distance because you don't want to let them in. You're choosing loneliness because you're scared that if they know you, they'll reject you. They'll walk away just like everybody else in your life. Sometimes there's a loneliness of being misunderstood. Once you let people know what you're, what's going on inside. like so If you've ever been judged by people you love, you've wondered, how can you believe that about me? How could you not give me the benefit of the doubt? Don't you know me? It can feel lonely in that moment. Just being misunderstood and judged can be isolating. You can feel like I'm alone in this world. There's nobody that knows me. But here's the thing. There's a person who does know you. Not simply the best about you, but the worst about you. Things that you're not even aware of. And he promises never to leave you. Surely I am with you forever to the end of the age. As sure as he is alive, he promises to be with you in every age, at every stage. You will never be alone. And sometimes his comforting presence is found in the form of a community. Brothers and sisters who have also believed this gospel message and know that death is not the end. That redemption is possible for them too. And that they too, like you, will never be alone because he is with us forever. Is that the story you've believed?
two stories emerged from the empty tomb, and one of them had the power to change the world, and even to this day in 2023 has the power to change us. But the story you believe is a story that you will live in. And if you take a step back and look at your life right now, are you living as if you must defeat death? Or as if you're the only one who could redeem your story? Or are you living as if no one today is looking for you? I want to tell you this Easter Sunday, you don't have to believe that story. You don't have to live in that story. Because at the heart of the gospel is this news, this radical news, that death will be defeated. Redemption is possible. And Jesus is with us forever. Which story do you live in?